you know, risk taking isn't easy. It's not easy for anyone. But I think once you really know what you want, where you want to go, what's happened in the past, and you have things to judge that risk by, and, and as you say, to, to calculate it, then I think it becomes much easier to try to see all of the different possible outcomes mm -hmm. and be prepared for if it doesn't work out and to just go in with a bit more visibility. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. Today, I'm joined by Keely Cat Wells. She's an entrepreneur and disability activist. She's also a Forbes 30 Under 30, as well as on the advisory board of Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation. Keely and I talk about her work where she advocates with those with invisible as well as visible disabilities. Our conversation is so eye-opening for me personally as she talks about the importance of accessibility for all. We talk about her big goals while she's living out in LA, the things that her and her company are doing to really change the landscape of what we're seeing in the world of entertainment as it relates to accessibility. It's a great conversation and I really can't wait for you to listen. Tell us what you think. Head on over to our Instagram account and send us a DM at Fierce Lab. Keely, thank you for being here. I'm so delighted you're going to join us for this podcast episode. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Okay, so for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, will you just tee up about yourself and your journey to advocacy in the space of disability? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was about 17 years old, I was training to be a dancer and I suddenly fell sick and was hospitalized for a very long time. And cut a relatively long story short, I became disabled, which completely turned my life upside down. And I quickly realized when I came out of hospital that the world was no longer built with me in mind. And I really wanted to get back into the entertainment industry. I didn't want to do dance again just because of everything that I had been through. And I was living in this new body that I didn't quite understand. So I actually started representing talent and my friends who were in dance college and became a talent agent very untraditionally. So I moved to Los Angeles to pursue that dream and that goal and this new kind of career. And I lost a job when I was in Hollywood. And I always thought up until recently, I lost that job because of my disability. But I actually lost that job because of Hollywood's ableism. And ableism is the discrimination against disabled people. And that's really when the moment clicked for me that I didn't want to just do a, you know, your standard career. And, and that's why I founded C Talent, which is a talent management company that represents high profile deaf and disabled um, artists, athletes and influencers. 
And our goal really is to normalize disabled people being experts in subjects beyond disability. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to what you said. So you originally, when you lost the job, you thought you lost it because of your disability, as in you thought you weren't doing the job well. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so there's a thing called the social model of disability, which I didn't know about when you become disabled. There's no really like rule book or anything that really teaches you or tells you about this new kind of identity that you have. And when I learned about the social model of disability, which basically says that it's not your impairments that are the problem or the issue, it's the social barriers that you're surrounded with and it's people's negative perception of disability. So it's not my impairments, it's it's the things I come up against. And I realized that I didn't lose my job because of my health conditions. I lost it because they weren't prepared or equipped or had the mindset to hire someone who they may not have hired before. Mm-hmm. And so that's discrimination at its core, right? And you experienced it and you said, I'm going to do something about this. Absolutely. I quickly realized that this wasn't an isolated problem. This was much bigger than me. This was much bigger than the entertainment industry. This is much bigger than my experience. This was systemic. And I honestly felt embarrassed that I'd never even considered the lack of accessibility or representation and never even knew what ableism was before I became disabled. But I think just like so many people, when you're not directly affected by something, you tend not to reflect on it or learn about it. But yeah, just from that moment, I was like, okay, I have to do something that maybe I can help change this. Mm -hmm. And just in case I missed it, define for me again, ableism. So that we're really clear on what this means. Absolutely. So ableism is the discrimination against disabled people. And that can be whether it's prejudice against, you know, mindset, stereotypes or physical barriers, not honoring disabled people's experience, not honoring their accessibility requirements. So in short, it is the discrimination or prejudice against disabled people. Mm -hmm. Wow. Tell me. This was, you started your first company when you were 17. How long ago was that? So I am 25 now Mm -hmm. and the worst person at maths. So (laughs) fair enough. You're 25. (laughs) No, 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 no worries. That was my polite way of asking you how old you are. (laughs) So maybe I should have just cut to the chase there. But okay. So over the course of the last nine years, you've been building this company and You've been advocating for people, not just women, but men as well, in Hollywood. And I would think that it's probably one of the most challenging regions to advocate because it seems to me like, as an outsider, I don't live there, never have, that Hollywood is a place built on perception and youth and beauty and perfection. Have you experienced those things? Yeah, you know... When I, the first kind of five years or so was me very much kind of finding my way again and really just getting used to like this new era of my life. And I was still in the UK for many of those years. And I guess I was very coddled and protected during those times. And I really, really had an amazing support system. And when I kind of took that leap of faith and came out to LA, Uh, initially only for a week and it was only ever meant to be a week 
uh, which turned into now the rest of my life. Um, but I definitely realized different mindsets and different ways that people would treat you. I think Hollywood is absolutely, when you think of Hollywood, you straight away think of those Hollywood superstars, those stunning people. And even in advertising and, and film and TV, we're seeing those slight changes that they are slowly but surely bringing in people who may not be your classic perception of beauty. But I think as we've learned in recent years, what is beauty? It's it's whatever we we see it to be. It's in the eye of the beholder and we don't have to stay with those stereotypes anymore. And I definitely realized with, with disability, now it's our turn to change those perceptions of, of disability and those historic issues that we face. Yeah. So when you started Sea Talent, did you feel you were taking a risk or did you feel like just propelled, like I have to do this? It, it didn't even feel like a risk to you. And the reason I'm asking about this is Frequent listeners of the podcast will know that risk-taking is one of the four pillars that we cover. So I'm really curious how you framed up stepping out on your own, becoming an entrepreneur, representing other talent with your company, if you perceived that as risk or not. Oh, yeah, it's a huge risk. I think at that point, my life had already been at risk. And I felt I was in a very unstable place mentally. And I felt I don't really have anything else that I could possibly lose. So why not? And I know that sounds like such a, a wild thing to say, but I'm kind of, I'm grateful for that now that I had that opportunity to just kind of throw caution to the wind and, and go for it. Cause I don't think if I was the me before that would have been much more calculated and like, you can't afford this. This is not a good idea. So many things could go wrong, but I think I'd already experienced so much. Mm -hmm. It was just time to say, I won't swear, but F it, you know? Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> sure, right. And why not, right? Exactly. And have you continued to embrace that mantra? Why not? What do I have to lose? Or have you found over the course of the last nine years that you have backed away from taking risks or become more calculated with the way you take risks? I've definitely tried to be more calculated. I think once, you know, risk taking isn't easy. It's not easy for anyone. But I think once you really know what you want, where you want to go, what's happened in the past, and you have things to judge that risk by, and, and as you say, to, to calculate it, then I think it becomes much easier to try to see all of the different possible outcomes mm -hmm. and be prepared for if it doesn't work out and to just go in with a bit more visibility. Mm -hmm. I really like that, how you talk about the milestones along the way and the different experiences you have, have had and that you factor that into future risks that you take. We often talk about there's no real formula for how to take risks right? And how to evaluate them. So for you to sort of spell out what you assess, I think is helpful to other women as they think about their own journeys and stepping out to do something maybe they've never done before, similar to what you did. Yeah, I love that. I think sometimes you just got to measure up if the opportunity is worth the chance, but maybe you don't even know within yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think having that support system and that team around you and the people to bounce things off of is incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel very grateful now for building that solid foundation of people who 
But even if they tell me if it's going to be a bad idea, I will probably do it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I think, the type of person I've I've become is is quite rebellious in that sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes people can't see your vision, right? There are a lot of people that will try and throw cold water on your dreams. I'm sure that there are plenty of people in your life that love you and want the best for you and are just trying to be protective. I have those people in my life. But then there are the naysayers that really have no business being in our business. And so you have to take some of that with a grain of salt, as we say. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish someone had told me that when I first started and when my initial goal was to make sizable change that not everyone's going to agree with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm still very much learning how to handle conflict Mm -hmm. and handle the people who challenge me and other disability activists who were trying to make that make a difference. So being prepared for those. Can you speak to that? I mean, candidly, that surprises me that you would get resistance. I would think that it would an inclusive environment feels like a no brainer to me. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the pushback that you get. Yeah, there's so many comments I never thought I would get. I mean, even personally, you know, on Instagram, I probably get a DM daily telling me that I'm making up my experiences or making up being disabled. And it's very upsetting to have people think that you uh, to deny your own identity. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that really does it's a great metaphor for how people see and judge accessibility and access requirements. People oftentimes will say, oh, do, but do they really need that? Do they really mm-hmm. need that changed from a PDF to a Word document so their screen reader can read it? Or do they really need a ramp so they can get in that building? Like, yes. Mm. And it's uh, people have their own reasons for why they're so restrictive within that. But I think if we all just embraced everyone's needs a bit more and weren't so quick to judge, then the world would be a much happier place. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about, do they really need that? You know, something that you've experienced there. I'm thinking about a friend of mine that when she was 13, she was diagnosed with a a very rare eye disease. And since the age of 13, now she's in her 40s, she's slowly been losing her eyesight. And this last year during COVID, which was so hard on all of us, she had to give up driving because she can't see to drive. And just in the last several months, she started using a cane. She's named the cane Sugar Cane and calls it Sugar or Sug. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. And she just recently traveled on her own from Texas to Utah, I believe, and took the cane for the first time, took Sugar for the first time with her. And she talked to me about how liberating it was, but that she wasn't expecting it. But where I'm going with this is what she has discovered is very similar to your own path in that through her disability, she's uncovering her own purpose. She's starting to bring, she already had a big voice, right? Confident woman, great personality, a woman that sought to help others. And I hear that in you, Keely, as well. And so now she is an advocate for others who are seeing impaired and becoming an advocate for and and speaking out and I see that in your journey, too. It wasn't your unnecessarily chosen path, right? But when it became your path, you summoned this in yourself to say, okay, I'm going to do more with this versus letting this hold me back. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think you have to be. You have to become your own advocate first. And I think oftentimes that does lead to advocacy for others. And 
it's almost a shame that that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And hopefully one day people won't have to be such these advocates. It does create role models and Mm -hmm. it does create incredible people who are making immense change. Mm -hmm. I read a quote that where you said, I believe to change the world, we have to learn to tell and listen to a new set of stories about the world we want to create in accessible spaces with authentic voices. Knowledge is power and the media is a global teacher, whether we actively realize when we are watching entertainment or not. I think that's so powerful because with what you're doing with C Talent, you're changing the way that the entertainment world expresses itself and you're bringing inclusivity through the work that you do. Can you talk a bit more about specifically the work that you are doing in the entertainment world? Thank you. Yeah, I think the you know the entertainment industry and the media the media world is such an amazing vehicle because people underestimate, you know, billions of people watch TV or social media every single day and that's a huge number, a huge power to influence. So for us, we thought you know, if we can start to change up the pipeline and change what representation looks like on screen and also behind the camera by cultivating a roster and a a group of incredible disabled talent, then we can not only create superstars who happen to be disabled and new role models and people for everyone to look up to, not just disabled people to look up to, but everyone. And we could really change that landscape. So we've been working with our talent to to develop them and to create roles and campaigns and activations and pitch those, pitch our ideas to big brands and big companies and the entertainment industry so we can really place them in roles that necessarily aren't being cre- created on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been amazing to see. Mm. I look at some of the big names that you've worked with. So NBC and Lego are two that are just coming to mind for me. Are you finding these are conversations that they're eager and hungry to have? Or are you fine? And and I don't mean to just call those two brands out. You're welcome to shout out some other brands, but I'm talking in general. Are you finding that big brands are wanting to have these conversations or do you find that you're having to beat the door down? Yeah, I think it varies a lot brand to brand. Uh, For instance, Lego and NBC have been absolutely fantastic and we love working with them. Uh, But then there are others who we've tried to get in the door with and we've tried to offer because we also have a consulting side of the company where we consult on disability and accessibility. But oftentimes these companies' responses will be, oh, we have our diversity, equity and inclusion team. And only 2% of those equity, diversity, and inclusion teams include disability into their agenda, which is a tiny amount. So our goal really is to get these companies thinking very differently about disability inclusion and trying not to group such an oppressed and underrepresented and underserved community into that breakdown and, and to really get it, someone to focus on it within the company. And and a lot have. I mean, the, all of the people that we've worked with have just been amazing and seen the value in it and seen the need for it. Um, but there's certainly the ones out there that, that are yet to, to grow up to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw somewhere this week, maybe last week on LinkedIn, 
but it was talking about that very similar piece of the equation that DE and I and disability are not the same thing. And that the disability community is saying, don't overlook and don't minimize our experiences just because they're different from what's being focused on in DE and I. And so I think you, you know, you really call that out. That's interesting to hear that it's only like 2% of those departments are also focused on the inclusion of those with disabilities. That's uh, yeah. s- surprising to me to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you know, everyone always talks about diversity being a seat at the table. But I always say, what if you don't have access to the door to get to that table? Mm. Accessibility is chronically left out of the conversation. And that is the first step to getting disability into that room. Mm-hmm. Well, and talking about disability, I mean, here's the thing. It can be visible or not. There's a lot of hidden disability. There are women who don't talk about their disabilities, who cover it up and keep it quiet. What are you seeing and experiencing with women coming forward and being more vocal about their disabilities? Yeah, it's very hard. For a long time, I did not want to disclose because I've also got invisible disabilities. And disclosure is is such a huge conversation and one that is very scary. And it is scary to come out and talk about it and disclose. And I kind of, I got to a point where I was like, you know, I want you to see my disability. I need you to see it so I could be properly accommodated, so I can have the right accessibility and so I can fulfill my potential. And oftentimes when you have an invisible disability, it's very easy to just say, I'll be fine. I'll get on with it. It's better I don't make a noise or be a nuisance or be a pain and ask for something. But the more that we hold that conversation and the more that we allow employers to and encourage employers to both just ask everyone the question of, do you have any access requirements? What are your needs? How do you best work? Then the more, the easier it will become for people to disclose and feel like when they do disclose, it's not going to be a burden. and It's not going to affect anything that they do. Yeah, it's a big topic and it's, it's definitely a challenging one. And I think today is actually a perfect day for this conversation. It's the last day of Disability Pride Month, which celebrates the the signing of the ADA in 1990. It's been 31 years since the ADA has been signed. And while we've been celebrating disability pride, we talk about, you know, it's okay to be proud of being disabled, but also still have a complicated relationship with your disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you were sharing this, I'm thinking about, to your point of asking, do you have any accessibility needs? We are doing Fierce Lab live in October, and that's not a question that I've thought to ask. So I appreciate that we're having this conversation because it's making me more aware. It's teaching me to be more inclusive, to not overlook. And I appreciate that very much. And, that. and as I hear you talk, and I wonder if, can you describe what some hidden disabilities, and that's not the word you used, Invisible. Is that the word? Invisible? Either or. (laughs) Okay. I mean, because I think people can wrap their minds around what isn't hidden, what they can see. But can Mm. you give us some examples of the ones that they can't see so that we can be mindful? Yeah, absolutely. That could be anything from 
being on the autism spectrum to chronic illnesses like multiple sclerosis or chronic fatigue, chronic pain, PTSD, even being deaf or hard of hearing, Mm -hmm. uh, being blind or low vision, anxiety, depression, whole host of different invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you for just kind of putting some clarity around that. Hey guys, I wanted to take a few seconds and ask if you've purchased your tickets to Fierce Lab. You can find those at fiercelab.tarawilson.com. We will have Fierce Lab live on October 2nd in Dallas, Texas at Hotel Zaza. Again, the website is fiercelab.tarawilson.com. Now back to the show. So I want to move to, you were talking about this month being the last or today being the last day of Disability Pride Month. I know that you and Sarah Hart Weir are doing some work to eliminate what's called Section 14C from the Fair Labor Standards Act. Now, that's a lot. So tell us what that is. What does that act do? And why is it so important to eliminate it? Yes, thank you. So the 14C basically allows companies to still pay disabled people sub-minimum wage. So currently, there are around 300,000 Americans who are still getting paid around $3 an hour Mm. or less. There's people working for 10 cents an hour, and it's legal. So our goal is to get rid of this 80-year-old policy and to hopefully change this, this terrible law, which is really changing the landscape, and it's still it's got it having such a knock-on effect. It it shows that you know disability it says that disabled people are less than. Mm-hmm. So we're really working to get that change so we can finally be have equity within employment. So how can our listeners help with that? Are there petitions that could be signed, or is there a website that they could go to where you're seeking support? That sort of thing. I. If there's something we can do, I'd love to share that here. Thank you. Yes, we've got a couple of links that I'll be able to share, which we would love for people to share around. And the most important thing right now is education. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people don't know about this law. I didn't know about this law until about a year ago and was so shocked because as someone who's in the community and uh, very active within the advocacy space, I, I had no idea about it. And so it's tell people about it, get people speaking about it, sharing uh, links and and everything online. And uh, and hopefully we can mm-hmm. get that change. So I would say, yeah, just sharing is, is the most important thing. Bringing it to the forefront, uh, sp- Absolutely. shining a light on it as well. How much does mental health and self-care play into the work that you do? The, the reason I'm asking that is mental health is one of the pillars of Fierce Lab. I always like to ask entrepreneurs what they do for their mental health. And I just wonder with the work that you're doing with C-Talent, if you're finding that you're having to speak on these issues as well for the talent that you represent, as well as the clients that you work with. Yeah, it's so important. I think, especially in Hollywood and the entry-level type jobs, a lot of times, and even with the this new hustle mentality, oftentimes stamina can get muddled up for talent. Mm. And people think that just because someone can work an 18-hour day means that they're more talented and going to be more successful than anyone else. But I quickly learned that looking after my mental health and my physical health and 
working quality hours, not quantity of hours, is going to be much more productive and stamina does not define talent. Mm. So for me personally, I, I make sure that I have adequate rest and I have definitely learned to take the weekends off. I do my very best to take the weekends off mm-hmm. and just make sure that you have some time away from the screen too. I think we can get so wrapped up in mm-hmm. social media and online and emails and looking at the inbox, trying to get to a zero inbox, mm-hmm. which I feel like is, is pretty much impossible. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I think just taking that, that adequate time and figuring out what works best for you and not to get wrapped up in, in the whole hustle culture. Yeah. And I've seen a shift in myself personally. Over time, I've recognized that I also need that rest and to reset. And sometimes I get down on myself. I'm like, why can't I keep going? You know, I'll come home from work. I might do a few additional things. I'll go out to eat and I'll think as I'm going out to eat, all right, when I get back, I'll tackle X, Y, and Z. And then by the time I get home, I'm zapped. I've moved into a different zone for myself and I don't pick it back up. And I do occasionally get down on myself like, why? And then I realize, nope, I need this time to recharge. And I loved what you said about that you're taking the time on the weekends too. I think it's so important that we know ourselves and we know how much time and energy we need for recharging versus just having, to your point, that hustle mentality, the go, 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 because that burns you out emotionally and physically. It really does. Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard at first to get away. Like I found myself feeling guilty And when you take time off or if it's a work day and you're like, I'm just going to take five minutes to watch a tiny bit of Netflix so I can just (laughs) reset. And then you just find yourself feeling so guilty for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. I hope that we can all get away from that because it's, as you say, it's it's so needed and it's vital to do better and and quality work. Yeah. Well, and it's so important for our mental health to have that positive mental health. So what's on the horizon for you and Sea Talent? Like, what are some of your big long-term goals that are coming up? Yes, I'm really excited. Right now, we have got our first round of seed financing coming into the company. So we're going to be growing and hiring and changing up a few things. So I'm really excited to welcome new disabled talent, both on the performing side and also new talent on the managerial side and the executive team so we can grow in that way. And we're also in the planning permission to build a studio. So that is moving along slowly but surely. So I'm really excited to keep cultivating this amazing group of of talent at Sea Talent to then transfer that to the studio to create our own work. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question was to talk a little bit more about the studio and what the vision is for that. So the idea really came around when I got so frustrated with access requirements not being met. And my clients on set just constantly getting not being able to to access things or do things or be able to work at their full potential. So creating a studio which not only has is built with disabled people in mind, but is universally designed and is better for everyone to work in. I think we talk about belonging and we talk about inclusion, but I think as I kind of mentioned earlier, that really does start with with accessibility. Everything from having one entrance, the same entrance, rather than a revolving door and then a separate entrance for disabled people who may use a mobility aid or a wheelchair. So really creating that that unity from, from a building itself, I think will very much influence the environment and the space within it as well. Mm. 
You're bringing up so many points that have just never crossed my mind. And again, I just want to thank you for sharing. And I'm feeling very ignorant in this moment. And I'm recognizing that I need to do a lot more homework in this space to be able to speak intelligently and know what others are going through that I may or may not be seeing. So again, I just want to thank you for what you're sharing. So what advice might you have for women who are looking to create this world that they haven't seen before? And the reason I ask you this is because that is what you've done. You looked at the world and it wasn't built for you. You said that at the beginning. And so you said, I'm going to build it. And that's a big endeavor to take. How have you done it? And what pieces of advice would you give for other women that are looking to do something similar? Thank you. I think the first thing I would say is I often got called bossy when I was a kid. And I would love to rephrase that from bossy to just leadership skills. So don't be afraid if someone calls you bossy, like it's not, you're not being bossy. You've just got great leadership skills. And I would also say, you know, change happens first with you. So try and do your best to live everything that you preach. And also change happens within our own communities, within our own homes, within our towns. You know, you don't have to be speaking at the United Nations or on a massive stage to make an impact. Um, I learned about social media activism and, and how much more accessible that was to so many and how much of an impact just putting a post out on Instagram could make. You know, one comment. So don't underestimate the power of one conversation or one small act and try not to get overwhelmed at first with the magnitude that that needs to be done because I think that can often be, be off-putting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are great tips. Know that it starts with you and within your community. And then, girl, I'm right there with you. I was called bossy all my life. <laughs> and yes. now I just know that it was the 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 characteristics that I had to make me a great leader, or at least I strive to be a great leader. So I'm with you. Don't call me bossy. (laughs) I I love love that. I love it. Well, something I do call you is fierce. Let me tell you. And I am thrilled to talk to you today. But before I let you go, I want to know what the word fierce means to you. It's a question that I ask all podcast guests. And so I'd like to hear your answer. Oh, it's such a good question. I think to me, it's standing your ground when the going gets tough and and also respecting yourself as a woman and respecting other people and also your limits. Mm. I really like that. Respecting yourself as a woman and respecting others as well as your own limits. That's great. Keely, you've been a delightful guest. Thank you for coming on and sharing about your work and the difference that you're making across so many communities. Um, I have just really enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you so much. And likewise, it's been wonderful. And you're an incredible leader. Thank you. That's great. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. 
You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab. 